This episode is sponsored by our friends at Fujifilm North America. Their X-Series digital cameras and lenses may just give you that creative edge you're looking for in your portraits and events. You'll find everything from 40 megapixel image quality to 40 frames per second bursts, plus unique in-camera film simulation modes and effortless usability. Click the link in the episode description to find the full range. There has never been a better time to invest in your passion, so make sure to click the link. Hey there, it's Nikki Klosser, and I want to let you know about an awesome free giveaway for people on our email list. If you haven't already, click the link in our podcast description or go to theportraitsystem.com slash sign up to get on the list. If you sign up, you'll get a free posing 101 PDF to jumpstart things. It's an epic PDF, so you'll definitely want to get this. Also, just by being in our email community, you'll get deals, sales, and information about any of our upcoming events and activities. So head over to theportraitsystem.com slash sign up and sign up today. You're listening to the Portrait System Podcast. I show big. So my studio, every single print in my studio is huge. When you come in through my door, my largest images are in the hallway. Because some people will say, oh, you know, but it's only for the dining room or the living room, not the hallway. But if they come through and they see these massive prints on the, in the hallway wall, then you've kind of overcome that argument already. This is the Portrait System Podcast, a show that helps portrait photographers and people hoping to become one navigate the world of photography, business, money, and so much more. We totally keep it real. We share stories about the incredible ups and the very difficult downs when running a photography business. I'm your host, Nikki Klosser, and the point of this podcast is for you to learn actionable steps that you can take to grow your own business and also to feel inspired and empowered by the stories you hear. Today's guest is Richard Wood, and during this interview, we go right into how Richard runs his photography business, including how he does his photo reveals in such a cool way so that he easily has the chance to upsell. He also gives us a glimpse into his whole creative thought process, which this was really interesting to hear because his work is so next level when it comes to uniqueness. This was a side of Richard and his photography world that I hadn't seen before because we usually just chat about awards since he is our Portrait Masters Award and Accreditation Head Judge. I'm really happy I got to interview Richard and just hear his whole story because he's very inspiring and I learned a lot from him. All right, let's get started. Hey, Richard, welcome back to the Portrait System Podcast. How are you? I'm great. Pleased to be here. Yeah. So you're in New Zealand. I am. Yep. I'm assuming. Not going far at the moment. (laughs) Yeah, I was going to say, I know there's not a whole lot of traveling going on right now. No. So the last time we chatted was about all about awards because you're one of our, or you're actually the head judge of the Portrait Masters Award and Accreditation. And I know that we spent some time just chatting about, you know, your whole awards journey and then also what judges look for and just about the scoring system and all of that. But this time around, people are wondering about just how you kind of got to the point where you're at. You're highly awarded in many different organizations around the world for photography, or you have many different awards, let's say, for sure, in New Zealand and the States. And But how did you get there, I guess, is the question. So so let's start from the beginning. Were you always a photographer? Uh, oh, look, it depends where, you, where the beginning is, I guess. <laughs> I, <laughs> when I was at school, I very much wanted to be a vet. Oh, Yeah, funnily enough. But I was useless at chemistry, so that really didn't go through. And I sort of got to the end of school wondering what I was going to do at university, and I just had no idea. So I did a three-year degree in business and marketing. And sort of, yeah, the first two years of that, I, I was still struggling to know what I wanted to do exactly. But I ended up in London for a bit of a trip, and I discovered the 
International Wildlife Photographer of the Year Award. And they had their big awards gallery in the Natural History Museum in London. So, yeah, I, I was more at the museum to have a look at the dinosaur bones, but I ended up in this, <laughs> in this exhibition, had a look around, and I, I spent a good couple of hours in there, surprisingly, and just fell in love with what I saw. And leaving that, I decided that that's what I wanted to do, was take photos. So when you were looking in the museum, for people who don't follow you, I just want to let them know that your work is, like, stunningly creative. Like, it's not just your everyday portrait. I mean, there is so much amazingly detailed work put into your portraits. And so I'm curious, when you were in that museum, was it, like, creative work or was it portraits? Like, what were you looking at? Because I'm curious if that's what inspired you to be what you are today. No, it was just fascination with the world. So I have a lot of fascination in history and and artifacts mm-hmm. and it's just my curiosity, I guess. And that does show in my work. And the photography exhibition was sort of something on the side as you walked out. So so yeah, it was it was totally unplanned, to be honest. And, yeah. Yeah. And I've okay. never ended up shooting wildlife. And from there, I decided to go, I actually, I did study photography at university, but it was actually a a four-year degree in graphic design, and it was just part of that. And from there, yeah, I actually left university as a graphic designer, and I was doing ad campaigns and magazine spreads. Hmm, Interesting. Yeah, my my love was still in photography, but I was able to leave university with something that was immediately going to make me money, I guess. But... The benefit of that was I slowly became the advertising agency's photographer. So they'd give me little photo jobs to do here and there. That allowed me to build up a portfolio of work. So from there, I I was able to step out on my own, opened a studio in town. What I didn't go on to say was that studio was for, you know, portraiture, but I was able to take on as a contractor commercial jobs. Oh, nice. I mean, I I should have said before, it's not that you only do this creative work. Like, you also do really beautiful portraits that are really well lit and really well retouched. So that's not to say, I didn't mean to, like, diminish the fact that you also do do, like, I think you call it, your hashtag is, like, everyday work. So there is that, too. But there is this other side of you that is just incredibly, you know, with your creative portraits. So I just kind of wanted to throw that out there. So, Yeah. So the studio that you opened, you said it was more commercial portraits? Uh, no, so, well, I was doing portraits, so children and families. Oh, okay. But I was, it was also a place for me to work from and as a commercial photographer. So I never narrowed down to one genre and still haven't. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. Okay. And did you come out the gate, like, charging at what you would consider industry standard pricing? Or were you, you know, still trying to, like, work your way up sort of thing? I came out the gate charging probably local commercial rates because I knew what I should be charging and I knew I was good enough to be charging those. With portraiture, mm-hmm. I was definitely on the low end and that was more about, I think, confidence in that area and, and probably more, more so knowledge about what I should be charging around those, you know, that, that sort of stuff. So it was a bit of a mix, a bit yeah, of a mix, yeah. yeah. It is, it's interesting how, you know, a lot of photographers start out in some different career and a lot of people that I've interviewed started as graphic design. And it's interesting that you did as well and and how that experience, I feel like, is just so, so great for a business. It's just so, like you said, you knew what you were worth for that particular genre and didn't have to go through like the painful, I charge, you know, $100 for <laughs> whatever. Yeah, so right. 
Yeah, I actually I had I had someone in within that agency that she was kind of like an account manager, and when I was asked to quote on a particular job, she would always give me a heads up regarding what other photographers in the past had quoted and what was to be expected, mm-hmm. which was really really helpful and gave me a lot of insight. So, ooh. That is helpful. I think about now, like sometimes I'll have, you know, a company who will contact me and say, all right, we've got a team of 15 or a team of 10 or a team of 20 and we want headshots and we want group shots. And I mean, I know what I charge and but there is this part of me that's like, I am so curious what other quotes they're getting, you know, like I just had a big job. It was like 14 people and they initially said yes, then said no. They went with someone cheaper, then came back and said, "Okay, we want you. And it's like, oh my gosh, every time I send a big quote, because I have nothing to compare it to. I have no idea yeah. what anyone else is charging. And it's really hard, you know. And the other side of that is it, it can often depend on your client as well. You know, if the little, the, the small dairy, I don't know if you call them dairies over there, the little shop down the road wants you to do a small job for them, you're going to give them a very different hourly rate or half day rate than you are to say if, let's say Nike asked mm-hmm. you to give them half a day's worth of work. You're going to quote depending on the job and the effort you're putting into that job as well. So yeah, pricing commercially can be very, very difficult. And then of course, you're looking at licensing fees and all that sort of stuff if you go down that route. But yeah, it's an interesting world, but I really believe that you can overcome that difference in price if you're producing something that that client really wants and can't get elsewhere. So if you if you have a, a particular look or, or something that you do that other people don't, yeah. And you're right. That's exactly what it comes down to is providing a service and product that people want. Because when they did come back to me, they said that, you know, the upper people, you know, people in charge didn't want to spend the money. And these people were reminding them, listen, we've had four photo shoots that we've hated. Like, it's time to spend the money. Yeah. You know, so it, it does. It really does come down to that. For sure. So, For sure. Yeah. But anyways... Super cool that you had that experience and that you had the, you know, the inside kind of knowledge about, about charging. Yeah, I was lucky there. It was a good place to start. Yeah. So, yeah. And then your studio in New Zealand, tell us about that. Or maybe just tell us about your first studio. My first studio was uh, upstairs on the main street of town in the city. And when I look back, it was so cheap back then. So I, I sort of did that for a while. And then... I just wasn't using a lot of the space and I managed to find a place on the outskirts of town that actually has a separate building on the property. So I've actually moved my studio into there. Okay. It has some good points about it and some not so good points about it. I guess the one thing that I struggle with with a home studio is, you know, you've got clients booked in, say, for lunchtime and the family sort of is out the door at eight o'clock in the morning off to work and the kids, you know, are off to school and you look at the place and it's just been left like an entire rubbish dump <laughs> totally and then for the next couple of hours you've got to run around with, with a duster and a vacuum cleaner and do the dishes and put away the breakfast plates and and that part that part I don't like um, and yeah sometimes I think maybe I should go back to town and you know then you, you just turn up in the morning you open the door and it's all ready to go so it's yeah benefits of both I guess yeah yeah totally there is I started out in my in the corner of my family room and I didn't have kids at the time we have a big dog and it was a rental house that I wasn't, I wasn't super proud of. And yeah, it was, you know, it's, it's definitely harder for sure. But I want to talk a little bit about studio because, you know, I don't think we've ever got super in depth with it on on this podcast. I think people get caught up on what their studio should be in which way the windows are facing and how tall the ceilings are and what color it should be painted. Like, what is your opinion on just a studio in general, I guess? Like what would be your ideals? 
Well, that's two questions. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> First, what is your opinion on, like, do you have to have the most amazing studio? And two, what is your ideal studio? Oh, uh, look, my international awards have come out of a studio, a space in my studio, which is, I often shoot that creative stuff in, which is probably about three meters by five. So that's my little creative corner area. They don't have to be huge. I can get my lights up quite high though. My ideal studio would be a very big space all in white. Yeah. And I would use black walls to cut down that light where I needed to. Oh, you would. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You know, these, these huge spaces aren't needed, especially with that moody light. You know, that moody light, you're bringing, you're bringing lights in very close. So Look, the studio I've got at the moment is actually two stories. I use the bottom story to shoot and the top story is storage for my crazy boxes of props. So it's kind of like a museum up there. I believe it based on some of the stuff in the props. And well, okay, so actually, this is a question. I have a question about your lighting. So we're going to come back to that. But I do have a question about all your props and stuff because everything, like the elements that you include in your photos when you edit them and do compositing and all that, are most of those elements real elements or are you like taking photos of things and adding them in or how does that work? And if if, if you're listening and you haven't looked at Richard Wood's Instagram page, that's probably a good, or, or his website, either one, Richard Wood, but just check it out because it's just so cool. So I'm curious about your props. Yeah, um, a lot of the elements are there in the image. And if they're not, of course, they're, they're always photographed by me and then and dropped in mm-hmm. later. You know, when you're, you're entering images into war, awards, all the photographs involved have to be taken by you. Right. So, yeah, there's, there's no stock imagery. There's no CGI. I, I've definitely been challenged for having CGI in my images, but I'm always able to prove that it's not. <laughs> What's a CGI for people listening and don't know? And me, because I don't know. <laughs> Computer-generated graphics, so something that's been possibly 3D modelled. Gotcha. My Alien series definitely raises some suspicions, but I'm then able to send through the raw files of the the body that's been used for that, and then the, the head and shoulders is just a mould, like a polystyrene mould, but yeah. Okay, cool. That's really cool. Okay, so upstairs you've just got a bunch of wacky stuff, and I mean, like, what inspires you to do some of this stuff, like aliens or, you know, animals or like, you know, red eyes and that sort of thing. How do you find your next inspiration? Uh, it, it comes in so many ways, you know, it, in terms of what, while we're talking about props, sometimes I'll just see something that fascinates me and I think, well, that, that could make a, a really interesting photo. And then I develop a story around that object. But at the same time, you know, some of my stuff comes from just listening to mu- uh, music and mm. I create a story around a soundtrack of sorts. So I know I spoke about this at Portrait Masters. You know, a, a film director will take the footage and then get a composer to write music that suits the story, whereas I like to listen to, to music and then fit a story that suits the soundtrack, if that makes sense. Yeah, for sure. You know, and and... You need time to do that, I guess, and and that sort of – I do that in the evenings. I'll go for long walks with the headphones on and in the dark when there's no distractions. And But that's normally around, you know, sort of three months out from, from an awards. But, yeah. Okay, I love that you just said that because I think people out there are like, how do I get a silver? How do I get a gold? How do I, you know, really get these scores? And, man, like you are prepping ahead of time mentally and, like, coming up with something new and innovative – in your own way, as opposed to just like bringing in a model and how can I, you know, make her look good or, you know, make her hair wild or, you know, it like that, that to me 
is means a lot to hear you talk about that. Look, it's I guess that's the secret is, you know, you can have a, a stunningly beautiful photo, but if it's just, a, and when I say just a stunningly beautiful photo, what I mean by that is it's, and then people say, oh, how can I take this silver to a gold? Or how do I take this high bronze to a silver? Sometimes it's always going to be good enough to always be at that level. And, and the way to take it to that, that higher realm is to create an emotion or some story or a feeling behind that image rather than something that's just perfectly lit and, and, and perfectly you know, crafted. Mm-hmm. If you think of a lot of the images that we've seen that kind of stick with us and are really hard to forget, it's because it's made us feel something or it's taken us on a journey. Mm-hmm. And that's where you start getting those higher marks. And it, it's, I kind of feel like I repeat myself a lot, but, you know, I do see a lot of people wanting critique, saying, oh, how could I have taken this to the next level? And it's kind of like a lot, a lot of the time it's, it's where it, that level is where it sits and there's, there's nothing you could have done better to that image to take it, in, to mm-hmm. take it any higher. Mm-hmm. The whole concept needed to be different to take it higher, if that makes sense. Right. Yes, that makes a lot of sense. And that's really helpful because we do get that question a lot in our Sue Rice Education Facebook group yeah. where people want to know how do they take it. And, and I like that. It's like... Like maybe there are certain, you know, the lighting was off a little bit or the expression was off or the composition or whatever. And, but that's only going to bring you up, you know, a little bit here and there, you know, point wise. But to really elevate it, yes, maybe it's yeah. just a new concept altogether. Yeah, I like that. You know, like if you've got an image that's sitting on a 78, which is a really high professional standard, that could quite easily mean that you've captured that 100% perfectly, beautiful craft, yeah, really yeah. high professional standard. Because it wasn't a silver doesn't mean you've done anything wrong, you know. A 78, right, a 78 right. means you've you've created something that's pretty, a really high standard. Yeah. But I, I feel that sometimes people are kind of like, what did I do wrong to, you know, I just, I just missed out on the silver. Well, the whole story or or the whole concept, the, the feeling, you know, that the image kind of needed to be a bit more to get to that silver or gold realm. So it doesn't mean you, it doesn't right, mean you've right. done anything wrong. <laughs> now, okay, for, so for some people, and including myself, it I, it doesn't come quite as easy to me to come up with these like really cool creative concepts. I know you have a course in the Portrait Master Store called Creative Portrait. Well, you you have two actually, Creative Portrait Series and Painterly Portraits. So can you tell us like in one of those, do you talk a little bit about how to kind of craft these, you know? concepts or ideas or how to like elevate these creative portraits? Yeah, for sure. The creative portrait series is very much about developing an idea. In the first segments, I think of that course, I take you through methods of how to develop ideas and how to create a vision because Mm -hmm. it's really important to create that first and to then, you know, make your plan and shoot around that idea. Yeah. and, And from there, we take that vision and we just we create the images, you know. It does go in depth a lot with editing. So there's a lot of tools that are very creative tools when we go through the Photoshop section of that. So, you know, changing colors and, and compositing and how to make things merge together and that sort of thing. But yeah, that's it's very much about the the creativity of the idea is is that that series yeah. in particular. Yeah, you know, I feel like it's one of those courses that a lot of people out there could benefit from when they're like, I just want to like take it to the next level. And I really want just to completely elevate beyond my quote unquote everyday work. And I just think that's probably such a good series for people to look into. Yeah. And we definitely, 
we talk about, and I actually did on stage at the Portrait Masters as well, but we talk about creating whimsical ideas and how to create kind of, it's almost random ideas that don't necessarily make a lot of immediate sense. And the reason I include this is because we do, as judges, we do see a lot of narratives in there, but the narratives are very obvious. You know, the very obvious stories, it's like they've been set up for the judges and not even just to impress judges, just viewers altogether. You can create a narrative, but if someone can look at that image and go, I, I know what that's about, and it's quite obvious, that won't necessarily take you high. You've got to keep some mystique, or there's got to be some quirkiness or something different. We, you know, it's all about innovation and originality. And that doesn't often come from pre-existing ideas in the world. So it's create. It's about, but yeah, the course talks very much about creating something new. Yeah, and I guess yeah, the word whimsical can be used as well. Yeah, for sure. And then the, the painterly portrait series. That's a question we often get in the Facebook group as well. Is how do I get that sort of painterly look? And if you're not sure what that means, it's it's. I don't know. How do you? <laughs> I'm trying to think of how. I mean, and really, it sort of looks like a painting, but without like the texture. I mean, it's got like, it's not going to be like super bright and high key it just has this painterly feel to it yeah. i'm trying to think of how to even describe it it's almost that that sort of rembrandt look look the first main key to getting that look with my style in particular anyway is it's it's all about the light mm-hmm. and we i take you through and show you in that painterly course and a number of different lighting setups that create that really sort of moody look And for a lot of people, that can be enough. And some people want to take it further. There are a lot of example images I know shown in that course, and some of them are really, really heavily photoshopped. And some of the other ones I've done in, you know, quite lightly, and and there's a multiple of different painterly methods I've used. So in that course, I give a variety of different ways to get a painterly look that you might like. There's some you might not like, but it's all about taking those techniques and applying them at a level that that suits the individual, I guess. Right, right. But yeah, so the painterly course is very much getting down to the the, the technical nitty gritty of creating that look out of firstly lighting and then applying post-production that can enhance that sort of feel. Right, right. Okay, so this actually takes me back to asking you about your lighting. And I know that you have like so many different lighting options that you're very comfortable with clearly I mean I'm you know looking at this painterly portraits and you have like two one light Rembrandt two light two light bonnet bonnet am I even I don't even am I even saying that right bonnet yeah I call it the bonnet because it it sort of shrouds the photographer down the back and over the top of the head kind of like a a bonnet yeah that's just the name okay so that's not a word I should have known right away (laughs) (laughs) Or is it? Like, is that a, a heavily used term? I've never heard it. Maybe it is in New Zealand. It, I'm not sure. It's, okay. It's, like it's, hair light. Is it like similar to a hair light? No, the bonnet, well, a bonnet is a piece of clothing that a, a baby might wear on its head. Or, right, I knew that. And you're tied under the chin or a woman from the 18th yeah. century. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I did know that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It just kind of comes up from the back and over the top of the photographer. So, yeah, mm-hmm. I, that's why I gave it that name. And it's it's very close. Yeah, it's, it's very close. really beautiful. Okay, yeah. Anyways, okay, so my question is, what type of lighting do you use just on the daily? Or, you know, and what equipment do you like to use? Oh, look, it really depends on the shoot. As I said, I'm switching between children and, and commercial yeah. quite a bit. But I'm often trying to change things up and try something new all the time. So, yeah, I guess, look, with the children, 
I'll switch between a two light Rembrandt sort of with large modifiers, but sometimes I'll go right down to the small modifier Rembrandt. So it's, yeah, I chop and change depending on how I feel and a lot of the time what the person looks like. A lot of those uh, sort of Rembrandt looking lighting setups don't work very flattering when someone's got a big grin on their face. Mm -hmm. So it really depends on what you're shooting. So, yeah. Okay, that makes sense. And do you have specific equipment that you like to use or do you mix that up too? Uh, Look, I'm a mix and match. Because I'm a commercial photographer as well, my my gear is quite often in the car and it's being thrown around and I'm shooting at the beach, I'm shooting in forests, I'm shooting in factories. So my my stuff has a shorter life than most. (laughs) So I don't have a nice clean collection of the pro photos. I've got a mix match of all sorts of stuff in my studio. So yeah, no favorites in particular. I, I quite like I quite like the Godox gear because it's it's a bit of a lower price point and uh-huh. if something breaks or gets dropped or knocked, oh god, I've had courier vans blow them over and right. yeah, they they're just quickly and easily replaced. But yeah, yeah, okay, well that's helpful. I mean, yeah, I just dropped my camera for the first time the other day and my it was awful right to the cement. I was like, oh my god, love nice, <laughs> yeah, no fun. Yeah, my insurance company hates me. Oh, you know what? I should call my insurance company. I yeah. didn't think about that. Yeah. Oh, yeah, because if you drop it, although it might be different in New Zealand, I've never I've never made an insurance claim before on my business ever. Oh, really? I'm going to look into that. I'm glad you said that. Yeah. My insurance company doesn't like me at all. Because so. <laughs> you're always making claims. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to have to do that. Okay, this is good because I wonder if I... Yeah, the, my lens is done for. It doesn't. It only manually focuses now. Uh, and then part of the top of my... I have a Mark IV... The part where you change from manual to aperture priority, whatever, that is broken. I'm just like, great. So, oh, yeah, I'm going to put that. I'm glad you said that. Yeah, definitely an insurance claim. Yeah. Look, I had, a, I had a, my last camera was a Mark III, and I was doing a, a, a fashion campaign on some rocks at a beach, and a big wave came over and splashed us and all the gear. And a few weeks later, I had rust through the camera. And, yeah, so I ended up with a lovely Mark IV after that. Oh, there you go. See, I've been dying to get a mirrorless R5. Yes. And Michelle Salentano was telling us about it on one of the podcasts. And it's, I'm not actually, she was telling us during the camera basics week for the 12 week startup that we do. And I had her on and she was talking about Canon and she had me convinced, but you know, I'm not someone who spends a whole lot on gear. I'm not a I'm not a gear junkie. I'm not a techie when it comes to that. I just love when something works really well and is easy for me to use. And I hear that that's what's going on with the mirrorless and that you'll like never miss focus again. So yeah kind of excited yeah i can't wait to get my hands on one maybe i dropped it for a reason mentally i was like i'm ready (laughs) okay so back to your lighting i did have a question about do you ever just use natural light as in window light or are you always you know recreating the light in some way with strobes or constant light or whatever yeah look in the studio i'm not using natural light i do shoot several weddings a year still okay and the reason I do that is because I get bored doing one thing. I like to mix it up. Sort of by the time it gets to the summer, I'm kind of like, yeah, I'm ready to do just a, a handful of weddings okay. now. I used to do thirty a year. I would never do that again. But, but yeah, when I'm when I'm shooting weddings, it's all about the available light. So, and to me, that's all. It can often be a little bit more, you know, challenging than strobes. Possibly that's because I know strobes so well now. But yeah, and fashion. Sometimes I'll shoot just available light, but I'm more often than not mixing the available light with strobe, just doing a lot of feathering. You know, some people will say that they think they shouldn't charge as much because they're shooting outdoors and they don't have a studio or whatever. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. To me being outdoors, especially if you're not 
well-versed on studio lights or you're not bringing lights with you or whatever, and you're only dealing with the natural elements, it doesn't necessarily mean it's easier. I mean, you're, you know, whatever the heavens gives you at the time is what you are, you know, Mm. dealing with. So whether it's cloudy or full sun or there's no shade or, and I've always just photographed, you know, outdoor natural light or in-studio natural light or whatever. So I've, I'm really good at it now. But for people who just aren't sure, it just, it seems harder. You have people who could walk by, a car could drive by, a bird could shit on you. I mean, like, so many things can happen. Like, yeah. if you're outdoors, you know, yeah. I'm like, you should be getting paid more. Yeah, and, you know, if and if, if the work's up to that professional standard, you you still charge professional, you know, rates. Yeah. And and the really the really sad thing is, you know, it's, I, my parents have family portraits on their wall that were taken uh, 25 years ago. You know, it's it's four and a half thousand dollars worth. Mm-hmm. You know, and and it's in our garden. It's just us in the garden. Yeah, you know? <laughs> that's what it was worth to them, and they paid that back then. But just so many people now don't have that confidence to put those charges out there. It's a, it's you know, create the service and create a beautiful end product and charge yep, for it. Yep, and it doesn't matter where you are. In studio, outdoor, like you said, to your parents and to you know most people, that's they're priceless. Yeah, they're absolutely priceless. Mm. It should be you know, if there was a fire in the house, it's what people will stop and grab as they run out. Oh yeah, absolutely. So to me, you know, put a price on something that that is that that valuable to that person. Yeah. And the problem is, is people the photographers put their own value on their work, whereas you need to put the client's value on the mm. work. You know, mm-hmm. I love looking at it that way. Absolutely. Okay, speaking of value and finding clients and, you know, who value photography and that sort of thing, how do you market in New Zealand? What's your main, like, I guess, way to get clients? A variety of different ways. I've just spent this the last three days over the weekend at a, a show. It's called the, the Home and Garden Show here mm-hmm. in New Zealand. So that's marketed towards people that are building new homes. So I was managed to get in there because I create wall art for people's homes and That's I just so had a stall in there and and yeah and everything is everything that I hang and display how many images did I have one two three four I only had five five photographs on display and they were all huge big big huge um, images all displayed in carved wooden frames or gold antique frames up really large beautiful Rembrandt light it was different than what you normally see at these these shows and Simply people could go in the drawer to, you know, the, the old story to win win a complimentary sitting in a, in a large print. Someone in there, and, and they fill out a questionnaire. It's like a marketing questionnaire. So it allows me to qualify what these people are about. It's not a draw. It's never a draw for me. I get to go through because it's they're filling out a questionnaire and it's a marketing campaign of sorts that I get to go through and choose who gets that that image. So on the entry form, I'll, I'll have questions like, why do you think you deserve to win mm-hmm. this? And that gives you a lot of clues about, you know, who your client right. is. But then from there, I'll give I'll give vouchers. So I'll go through and I might pick a quarter of the entries or a third of the entries and I'll send them out by mail, you know, snail mail as well as email, my prices and the complimentary discount voucher and, and go from there. And, and this is directed at children's portraits. And I don't do them all year round. I will do two or three sort of sessions a year. So I'll, over a month, I'll just squeeze everyone in. And I might be doing sort of three 
sometimes four shoots a day in my studio with children. And I'll do that for a month. And then the next month or two is when I have my reveals, which I do by a projector in a, in a theater, a theater room. It's kind of like a living room set up for yeah, that. Yeah, that's cool. So yeah, you know, and I can get through 80 in a month, you know, if I've done a really successful campaign. Wow. And the other way you can, you can do exactly the same thing is, is with an online competition. So using, you know, the likes of Facebook and directing your ads to the right market, people see your ad. And the important part is to get that person off Facebook via a link that gives them all the details on your website because nothing screams cheap and nasty like Facebook. You need to get them right. off Facebook through to your website, get them to fill out a questionnaire. I love SurveyMonkey for that reason. And it gives you the opportunity to find out all about this, this potential client, and, and you can go from there. Yeah, this is all so smart. The home and garden thing, that sounds really... Well, okay, so you said it's geared at people who are building homes or who are buying new homes? Sort of people that are either renovating existing homes or building new homes. So okay. there'll, there'll be roofing specialists, there'll be heating, you know, heat pumps, there'll be surge. There's all sorts of things. So the client, the clientele is narrowed down from what might be sort of just a general show. It's definitely still full of people that aren't your market. You know, some people are there just for the the free balloons and the lollipops, right? Um, and to f- and to fill out every competition form they can find in the place. But because of the you know, having that questionnaire on the entry form, you can quite often spot who those people are. So mm-hmm. the only reason I was asking, I was just, I just wanted to think of something, you know, so people could listen and understand like something comparable in their country, in the states or Canada or wherever. So that's I just, yeah. that's why I just wanted to clarify. Look, we we have a few different shows like that. We have the home and garden show. We have two different versions of that, I think, and we've got uh, what's called a women's lifestyle expo, and yeah, just. It means you can sort of narrow down who might be attending those shows. Right. But yeah. Now, are you, I feel like when it comes to, and I could be wrong about this, but when it comes to how many photos you show and that sort of thing, are you more low volume in that way? Like, are you just showing a couple really powerful? Because like whenever I see one of your portraits, it's just especially the children that's so powerful to look at. And are, are you showing a ton? No, I'm definitely low volume. My first rule is don't show anything you don't want the client to buy mm. because, especially in the commercial world too, but, you know, in terms of portraits, yeah, there's a good chance they'll choose what something you don't like. It's um, <laughs> it's just, it's like Murphy's Law sometimes. But so, no, what I will do is, you know, I might have a child in one outfit and a child with a second outfit or maybe it's the, the kids with a sibling in another shot and then I'll always try and push for getting mum and dad in the shot as well. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the more different variation, the more chance of making multiple sales. Yeah, yeah. But quite often, so I will have those in lines. I'll display them in lines. So the top line might be just the, the, ch- the child or the two children. The second line might be dad and son and, and then the next line, mother and daughter or whatever. And then the next line, a, a big group of them. But in each line, probably oh, there might be eight to ten photos. And I will dress up one or two images in that really painterly edits mm-hmm. to show them how all those images could look. Yeah. So really it's about them choosing expressions and, and their pose. I don't have time to go through and edit all those images. And sometimes people might not want them edited like that. So it's 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 about giving them options, I guess. Not too many options. Confused yeah, mind says no. For sure. But yeah, no, definitely there's no point showing someone fifty to hundred images. Definitely not. Not when not when really you're gonna be selling them one to sort of maybe eight to ten images. There's right. just no you're making that more work for yourself. But yeah. And the way you shoot and edit, like you know, I know that you charge a fine art, you know, price for 
even just I think I think I saw it was starting at four hundred dollars for like an eight by ten or eight by eleven or something right. wall portrait. And a lot of people are afraid. They're like, oh, but we only, you know, if I print it from here, it only costs me, you know, six dollars. And I, it's like that's not the point. Like anyone who I feel like anyone who goes to your website can scroll down and feel and see why that is starting at four hundred dollars. Like real quick, you know, it's all about how you present it. I feel like. Oh, it's definitely how you present. I mean, I personally, yeah, I like to project images because it means I can show them at 40 inches mm-hmm. on the wall. I have a really high quality projector and they sit down and, and the lights go out and there's always nice smells and a bit of music in the background. We go through the images and and from there, if they ask, oh, you know, how big is a 12 by 8? I can push a button on the laptop and the projector will shrink ah, it down to a 12 brilliant. A 12 by 8. And I tell you what, when you're looking at a big white wall from the other side of a lounge and, and the image suddenly turns into a 12 by 8, it's pretty disheartening. Uh-huh. But, um, uh-huh. I, I show big. So my, my studio, every single print in my studio is huge. When you come in through my door, I have my largest images are in the hallway because some people will say, oh, you know, but it's only for the hallway, not the, not the dining room or the living room. But if they come through and they see these massive prints on the in the hallway wall then you've kind of overcome that argument already and they're they're all of my family so you know I'm as a father I guess I've kind of set that example mm-hmm. and you know I, I have a 11 year old daughter and what's really funny is I make my biggest sales out of daughters and yeah, I feel it's yeah. probably because I've set I've set that example to fathers when they walk through the door and quite often it's the fathers of daughters that are upselling the mothers I just sit back you know it's yeah. it's quite interesting. Maybe I need a son yeah. to put one of those up too. But yeah. <laughs> right, <laughs> oh, yeah. Tell your partner that. I think I need to. You know. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'll, I'll tell my business. It'll make us more money. I'm just kidding. No, no. This is really cool. I didn't. I didn't realize that. That's how you did it with projector and everything. And and just oh, I love it. I love the way you approach it all. And I can tell you value what you do. And. It just shows. It shows when you look at your work. It shows when you look at your website, and you're going to attract that client. Yeah, and and you know, it's you're not going to get it through to everyone. You know, we're selling art at the end of the day, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. and not everyone in this world is actually visual, or 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 values visual like other people do. You know, it was, it's still a select market, so don't be disheartened when people go the opposite way. You know, totally. it still happens to me. I was I was standing at that show the other day, and I like to take my name badge off now and then. I just stand there like I was a just a customer and I'd sort of wander around my own store looking at the images, admiring them. That meant I could listen to other people. And someone said, oh, $700. And they were looking at a print up on the wall and they said, oh, how do you, how do you justify $700? Wouldn't pay that, you know? And in my head, I was like, well, the $700 is for a print that's half that size, honey. And, <laughs> <laughs> and the frame itself that you're looking at on that piece of work was worth $700 without the artwork inside it. You know, that's what I paid for that frame, you know. Right. So some people aren't going to get it. And that's fine. They're not yeah. your market. Yeah. So, yeah. Totally. And it's nothing to take personal. It's just people value different things. Yeah. You yeah. know, like I would never spend $500 on a purse or a pair of shoes. I just never would because right. that's just not something I value. I'd rather buy a plane ticket. Whereas a lot of people, that's super important to them to, to have that purse or those shoes, you know. And, and that's okay. We all have different things that we value. And it's just... 
it's nothing personal. Yeah, you know? and and don't try and understand it. You know, no. there's 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 Mm-mm. there's fathers out there that will spend seven hundred dollars on a new hunting rifle, but they won't spend seven hundred dollars on a portrait of their own daughter. You know, totally. to go on the wall. So totally. don't try and understand it. It's yep. just yep. people have people have different values. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Well, I think I thank you for you know sharing all of this and and just kind of giving us a, a glimpse into your studio. It's it's cool just being our head judge and everything just to get that more you know, kind of personal look inside of what you do. So really appreciate it. No problem. I've enjoyed it. I do have a couple more questions, though, that I always ask people at the end. Yeah. Okay. So number one is what's something you can't live without when you're doing a photo shoot? Nine times out of 10, it would be my 85 mil. So Mm, yeah, I shoot, I shoot Canon and the 85 millimeter is my go-to lens. I know a lot of people is it's the 50, but for me, I just, I, I love the 85. Yeah. I love the 85 too. It's my studio is a little too small to use it inside, but outside every time is my 85. Almost every time. For sure. Mm. Yeah. 1.2. <laughs> yeah, and I well, I and that's the lens that I dropped, but I only had the 1.8. So I'm kind of thinking that was also my key to update you know, upgrade to the one point yeah. two. Well, I think Canon's actually brought out a, a new eighty-five by memory. I th- I, g- I got handed one. Um, was it last year at the Portrait Masters? I was doing something. I was doing something on the demo stage, and it may have been a one point four eighty-five. I'm not sure. It was it was hmm. a new version of it, and it was really creamy. It was a really lovely lens. Hmm. Yeah. I'll have to check it out. Cool. Mm. Okay, number two. How do you spend your time when you're not working? Um, a bit of an adventure, really. I really enjoy the outdoors. I'm a fisherman. I love to do a bit of hunting now and then. Yeah, and it might sound a bit quirky, but I, I love plants as well. So the house is full of plants, and, yeah, and that nice. kind of keeps me busy. Yeah, That's sort awesome. of propagating and sorting them out, and it's a bit of a jungle inside here, but but yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. I don't think that's quirky at all, the whole plant thing. I love plants. I love succulents. I have them all over my um, yeah. the room where I record the podcast, actually. Except today I'm right. in my minivan, <laughs> recording my minivan today. <laughs> and indoor plants is very vogue at the moment, but yeah, <laughs> it's a nice look. Yeah, I know. Well, for me, it's not so much about being in style. It's more about I'm obsessed with succulents for some reason. The way they look, the way they feel, how they're like medicinal with aloe and just like... Oh, just so many amazing things about succulents. And I can keep them alive. I'm not, I'm not super good at keeping oh, that's them. Good. Need a lot of sun though, don't they? They do. Mm. Yep. Yep. I've got a sunroom, so that nice. is really helpful. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right. Number three, what's your favorite inspirational quote? Look, I've, I've got two. The favorite one I like to use when I'm explaining my, my work is, if at first the idea is not absurd, then there is no hope for it. <laughs> and that's, that's from Albert Einstein. And, you know, a lot of these ideas that I create, you know, people are like, how are you so creative? Where do you come up with these ideas? It's because I think of things that are absolutely absurd. And then I pull back on those ideas to make something or create something that could possibly be understood by more people in the world. So the starting point is a crazy idea. And, you know, all creativity and innovation comes from something that hasn't been thought of before. It's always a new way of Mm -hmm. thinking. So I really enjoy that quote. The other one is, of course, is actually from Sue. And that's and when I heard, first heard her say it, it was, I think, in 2011, she was speaking on stage in New Zealand. And it was just get out of your own way. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. And it doesn't just apply to sales. You know, it, it applies to everything. And I'm often sort of, I think back to that, that little pearl of wisdom. And it's just so true. 
It is. It really, really is. And it, it a lot of it is the backbone of what she teaches with the, you know, self-value. You have to get on your, yeah. The only person stopping you is your own excuses. So stop making them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As hard as that is for some people to hear, it's yeah. true. It's yeah. important. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. All right. Number four, what would you say to people who are just getting started in their whole photography journey? Uh, set goals one at a time. Set goals. It's, it's such, and write them down. It's just such a powerful tool. It's almost magical. It's so powerful. I figured this out when I was at, at school and my teachers had prepared, asked my parents to prepare me for failure for our, my fifth form certificate, which I don't know what the equivalent is over in the States there, but basically about at the age of 15, you have to set a series of exams. And if you don't pass them, you don't get to carry on with school. Mm. Well, you do, but you stay at the same level. Wow. And we had some mock exams. And it's not that I didn't work hard. As an average sort of concentrator, I guess. I probably was a little bit away with the fairies, naturally. but And we had our mock exams, and I was scoring an average of 30-something percent, which is not great. Right. And one day, we, we had something called an academic tie. So if you averaged over 75%, in your school certificate exams, you got the special tie that you, you wore for the rest of your school career. It put you in a sort of different league. And I jokingly said something about it one day in a, in a class. And there was, there was a boy in that class. He was very, very small. Uh, and he just, he started laughing at me and actually fell off his chair. He was laughing so hard. And that really upset me. And I went home and I wrote academic tie on the front of every textbook I owned. I wrote academic tie on a huge banner and put it around the top of my room. And I, I woke up to that every day. And I don't think there's anything magic about it, but it made me study hard and it made me study wise. And I got that academic time. Wow. I, I averaged 78%. So, you know, and that came up from the 30s. And it's just, it's a matter of working for it, but you need to write it down. Mm-hmm. When mm-hmm. I started at that ad agency, the, the owner, I was being shown around by, by a woman, Gail. The owner came out and he said, uh, what's your plan? You know, what's your goal for the next year? And I said to be the best photographer in Hawke's Bay, which is the area of New Zealand I live in. And he kind of smirked and chuckled and gave Gail a side look. And he said, oh, yeah, you know. He said, what's your your plan over the next two years? What's your goal for the next two years? I said to be the best photographer in the country. And he actually, he, he, yeah, giggled at that too. But he said, oh, well, I guess that's a good goal to have and sort of smirked (laughs) and walked away. Now, two years later from that day, yeah, this was 2009. It was the year my daughter was born. In 2011, I won New Zealand Professional Photographer of the Year. See? Look at so that. So it works. It's incredible. It works. Mm-hmm. And, and Gail mm-hmm. actually left that job years later and became, she presents on stage and talks about self-confidence and goal setting. And she actually met me for coffee. And she went over that story and she said, I just wanted to meet you for coffee and, and ask you how you did it. <laughs> and it wasn't I hadn't really thought about it much till that point but that's a whole nother talk I guess but yeah write goals write goals and yeah. you know you, you might not think you're good enough now but just pretend you're good enough you know not sorry not pretend you're good enough just know because you've written it down that you're going to be good enough by this time mm-hmm. get joy mm-hmm. out of the fact that you're going to be this good yeah yeah I love that Richard that yeah and it's just really cool that you were able to achieve all that. Not, not. There's no reason that you shouldn't be able to, but the fact that you did it, you set the goals, you did it, and I'm excited to see what you're going to do next. I mean, I know you've got some sort of goals 
<laughs> went down somewhere after after just hearing that. So I'm really excited to you know see where you go next. And it reminds me that I need to I need to really like write down and focus on my own goals. And yeah, yeah. it's awesome. Pop it on the fridge. Very cool. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Lord knows I go in there enough. <laughs> All right, well, between my children and you know. Okay, last question for you. Where can people find you if they're looking for you online? Uh, look, I have a Facebook group. It's called Richard Wood Creative and Painterly Portraits, I believe. So just go in there and there's a, a short questionnaire. Fill that out and, and we'll see you there. So. Perfect, perfect. And just a reminder that Richard does have the Painterly Portraits and the Creative Portrait Series in the Portrait Masters store. So definitely yeah. check those out. Yeah. yeah, cool. Thank you, Nikki. Thank you. I will hopefully see you soon. We'll see what happens, but... See what happens hopefully. in the world. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. You take care. Cheers. You too. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening today to the Portrait System Podcast. If you like what you heard, we would really love for you to leave us a five-star review either on iTunes or wherever you're listening. And I really, really want to encourage you to head over to SueBriceEducation.com. Over there, you can find all of the education you need to become a successful photographer. It's only $35 and there are over 1,000 on-demand educational videos on things like posing, lighting, styling, retouching, shooting, marketing, sales, business, and self-value. There's also the 12-week startup program that I love. And there are posing downloads, lighting downloads. I mean, truly everything to help make you not only a better photographer, but to make you more money. Once again, that's SueBriceEducation.com. It's time for me to tell you about this episode's sponsor, Fujifilm North America. If you haven't experienced portraits and wedding scenes created on the large format GFX system digital camera sensor, you are missing out. Along with up to 102 megapixel resolution, you'll find rich colors and gorgeous in-camera looks. There's also AI-driven subject detection and 8 frames per second bursts inside the compact GFX100 digital camera. Hit the link in this episode's description to view the products. It's time to dream big in your creative process.